Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host Leslie Sullivan. And today is episode 95, and we are going to take a look at the United Steelworkers Labor Union. Now, this one might sound a little familiar, and there is a reason why, but we will circle back to that in a moment. But first of all, let me give a big shout out to my listeners because as usual, you guys are awesome. So let me go to this list here. So a big shout out to Virginia, Oklahoma, Texas, New York, Florida, British Columbia, Massachusetts, Alabama, Louisiana, and Oregon. In terms of countries, the United States, the Russian Federation, and Canada. Good to see you guys. Okay, so this one is going to sound familiar because this one, their predecessor is Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steelworkers. And also, several other unions have merged with this particular union, so they're pretty large. And the only reason why they're so large is not because they started out big, but because they have taken on other unions under their umbrella to give them more bargaining power. That does concern me a little bit. I'll just say that up front because you're dealing with steel. So steel is um, committed, uh, not committed, considered a. It's not always considered a domestic product because we tend to import it in, and the reason why is because China bought up a lot of the steel many years ago. They bought it when it was really cheap. Now this is how crooked and corrupt China is because they're communists. So what they do is they buy up a commodity or a good or a service, whatever the case may be, and they buy it when it's really cheap, and then they wait till they have. Kind of like the majority stakeholder of it, so to speak, and they drive up the cost of that good commodity or whatever the case may be, and so they China has driven up the cost of steel tremendously. So China is not broke. They have slave labor, but they are not broke. So the people that are in charge of that country and also in charge of the very wealthy companies over there in China. They are not broke. They know exactly what they're doing, and they love to make the United States pay, especially financially. So that's why, like for example, I know I know a guy that works for the city of Oklahoma City, and he works in um, what's the right word? The the municipal uh, waste department, I guess you could say. He orders their equipment. And he was telling me one time that steel has gone up so much that that it has drastically increased the cost of those dump trucks. You know, for example, I live in an apartment complex, and so we have the city of Oklahoma City. We have their municipal people come once a week, or possibly twice a week, depending on what's going on. They come by, and they have these huge dump trucks that have those super strong levy arms on them, and they can pick up those huge containers and dump all the waste in there. Well, all of that has to be built out of steel, and not much of that is built here in the United States anymore, which is very unfortunate because we used to and we should. Well, the reason why it is like that now, and it's costing you and I money. So just because you and I may not be in the business of steel, we still pay the price of that good through services. So just think about how how expensive your utility bills are. And how much, like for example, cars cost and things like that. Well, that's made out of steel. So, but anyway, this guy was telling me that the the dump trucks that he has to purchase, they go through those probably every three to five years because they're used repetitively. Well, just imagine how much that costs if the price of those very industrial trucks 
doubles or triples almost every few years. Well, that's what's been happening with the with the price of steel. So not only do we have to deal with China uh, manipulating our market in terms of steel, but we also have to deal with labor unions. Now, labor unions, this one's really large and that's what concerns me is that it's really large. They are democrat. They give a lot of money to um democratic candidates and they also endorse a lot of uh, democrat campaigns, which again I don't agree with because I think that's I don't think that's appropriate for a labor union to do that. I think if someone wants to endorse somebody privately or just on their own, that's great. Go right ahead. You know, we have freedom of speech here and you you have a right to endorse whoever you want as a citizen of the United States. However, when you are a organization like this that deals with employment and deals with labor laws, it's not appropriate to endorse either candidate, whether it's Democrat or Republican. I would still have a problem with that. Um because here's the thing, if you have a labor union, let's say this labor union, although they don't do this, but let's say for example, the United Steelworkers Let's say that they only endorse Republican candidates and they give them millions of dollars to their campaign. Now, I have no doubt the Democrats and the crazy nutbag liberals would go ape over that and say, "See, that's how Republicans are. They're into big business. They're getting all these donors to give them a lot of money." Well, if that's how they're looking at it in regards to Republicans, which it is how they look at, then they need to look at it the same way when someone is giving them money. That it's showing favoritism or nepotism. You know, one thing that's really sad about the Democratic Party is that they only look at things one way for the most part, especially the more liberal they get, because we do have some moderates in the Democratic Party, but they are few and far between these days, which is very unfortunate because I miss my I miss my my normal Democrats. I miss them. Now they're they're just so many extremists and it's just it's very sad because I'm like where did all the normal people go that used to be in the Democratic Party? But anyway, um Whenever you see any kind of equipment get really high in price and it's made out of steel, you need to go to the root cause of that. And the root cause of that, I think it goes back, my personal opinion goes back to the fair uh the fair trade agreement. And um that goes back to President Bill Clinton where he made it so that we could have a bunch of goods made in other countries instead of stuff being made here in the United States. So that's why we have so many cheap inferior goods that are made in other countries and then are sold here in the United States whereas you know back in the day almost everything that we had here in the United States was made here in the United States. The only time you had a product that was made in another country was if it was a rare item like an antique or like a you know some type of vehicle like a Porsche or something like it you know it would be like if a country or a certain town or city in a country specialized in a particular type of good or something you know like germans they specialize in very fancy and very fast cars you know i i get that but should we be having china make all of our goods you know like all all of our what do you call it, appliances and things like that no we should not things like that used to be made here in the united states so we had more jobs here in the United States but President Bill Clinton signed that fair trade agreement or something and and you know since then jobs have just gone to other countries like crazy so that's the number one reason why so many Americans have been unemployed for so long and also this is one reason why certain goods the quality has gone down and why the cost has gone up because you have crooked countries like China that buy up 
all of one particular good and then drastically increase the price. So they create a monopoly, basically. So what the United States has missed out on is calling countries out on this, that when they create unfair marketing schemes and they create monopolies within the economy, and that, that punishes you and me, especially you know, with our paychecks, because you and I are the ones that are paying for this stuff. So just remember that You know, if you're for jobs being sent overseas, you're shooting yourself in the foot. If you're for countries like China buying up all these goods, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot because all they're going to do is up the price. They have every right to do that. They have every right to do that, but it's not, it's not fair trade it's, because it's not fair to do that. You know, they are very, well, they're just very greedy. You know, people you know, often think that communists, oh, they care about people just like Supposedly fascists do. They don't. Um, they are just as greedy as anybody else, but they try and make it seem like, oh, it's bad to be rich. And it's like, well, if it's bad to be rich, how come communists and fascists, especially communists, they give themselves permission to legally steal from people and to be wealthy? Because the higher-ups in the Chinese government and, and the Communist Party, they are not poor. No, they are some of the richest people in their country. It's just they may, they may hide their wealth And hide it really well. So you just kind of have to be careful what you believe. And you, you, you need to question things. And I'm so glad I do that. Because you know, it's very easy to believe things on the surface level, right? But we need to dig deeper in order to understand what is actually going on and what exactly is happening. Because that will determine, hey, what are the, what's the real price of the goods here? You know, I'll give an example. You know that lady, it's called the Pioneer Woman or something? I was impressed with her until I saw her goods at the store And she makes like crock pots. Well, she doesn't make them, but she has a company that makes them for her. She designs them supposedly. And I look at the box and, you know, she makes it seem like, hey, she's pro-America. And, you know, it's the pioneer woman, which is supposed to be, um, I guess, a reminder of the pioneer women that we had here in the United States way back in the day. But get, but get this, almost all of her products are made in China with slave labor. You know, I'm pretty sure pioneer women here in the United States way back in the day, when we actually did have pioneer women, they did not ever buy stuff from China like that. They bought stuff here locally within the United States, usually within their, their, their town, you know, where they would go to buy goods and things like that. If not, have a blacksmith or someone in their city or town that made the stuff that they needed. That was just how stuff was done back then. So... Like when I read on the box that this crock, this crock pot that the pioneer woman lady, I forget her name, but she's, she has really long red hair. And um, I was so disappointed to see that she has her goods made in China. Because I was like, oh, so you're making it seem like you care about the United States, but you're not even creating jobs here in the United States, but yet you're claiming to be, you know, pro-pioneer woman and you're claiming to be American. I'm like, you know, I don't believe that. I think it's I think it's a crock, you know, just like one of her crock pots. It's a crock because I would be way more impressed and I probably would have purchased her products if she had kept them here in the United States and actually given people an opportunity to work for her and to earn a living, you know, to provide for their families because she puts on the whole I'm, I'm holier than now. I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Um, you know, we should provide for our families. Well, she, she's not helping to provide employment for people here in the United States. She's enabling a communist country, and she's enabling slave labor. I have a big problem with that. I think that's hypocritical. Like, I, that's one thing I don't like about people that 
they make it seem like they're pro-America, but they're really not. They just want to live high off the hog at any expense. And she's doing it at any expense by having her goods made in China and then sell them here to, to the people here in the United States. But yet we're just paying for slave labor overseas. I don't think that's right. The United States abolished slavery in the United States a long time ago. So why are we doing business with anyone that proactively has slave labor? Well, she does it for the money. Well, you know what? That's not the American way and that's not the Christian way. My personal opinion is that she should put her money where her mouth is and bring those jobs back here to the United States. Another company that has let me down, I'll give this as a little, you know, two for one special, is Sensi. I used to sell Sensi. It's the original wickless candle. And initially all their stuff was made here in the United States and it was great. It was a great company. You know, you got paid well. It was it was it was amazing goods and plus you got to meet people from all over the United States at these conventions. Well, guess what? At some point they started having their goods made in China. Why? Because it's cheap and the higher-ups can make more money. So they're charging you 40 to 75 dollars for one little wickless candle holder thing that you know burns wax or melts wax when you know what that's real expensive see here's the thing if it's costing you $45 for one of those contraptions that melts wax and it emits a fragrance into the air if it costs $45 a wax but they're having it made in China that means it's probably only costing 5 or 10 dollars but yet you and I the worker are not making that money The higher ups were making that huge chunk of change off that stuff that's being made in China. Whereas when it was all made here in the United States, the workers, the people that actually made that product, actually made really good money because they had really good jobs and could provide for their families. And then people like me, they got to sell their product. We knew that the product was being made in the United States and th- there's just a difference. You know, like when, when you know the quality of the good, you're willing to pay more for it. But whenever I see that something costs a certain price point and I'm like that's kind of high but where is it made? You know, I kind of justify it. You know, if it's made in the United States and prior to COVID-19 if something was made in Italy, I would pay the price for it. I would I would pay for it. I didn't mind paying a higher price point because I knew the quality of the good. But if I see that it's made in China or even Vietnam, but especially China, I'm not going to pay that kind of money for it because I know it didn't cost that much to make. So, you know, I don't buy as much stuff as I used to. You know, if anything I'm saving money, but here's the thing. It really disappoints me when American companies excuse me, they make it seem like they're pro-America, but they're really not. They're just pro-money. Well, that's greed. Love of money is wrong. And you know, that's that's in the Bible. I mean, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Because take a look at it this way, you know, like for example, the pioneer woman. Um, and again, I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but um, here she is claiming to be Christian, to be to be a family person, be a housewife, and then a business owner, and all this stuff, and to be pro-America, and pro-democracy, and pro-republic. but she's making money off of slave labor in another country. You know, I have no doubt if someone were to ask her if she's against slavery, she'd say, "Well, yes, I'm against it." I have no doubt that she would say, "I'm against that." My follow-up question would be, 
then why are you having your goods made in a country that's communist and that proactively has slave labor and very much has human rights violations just high rates of it not just a few but it is astronomical the human rights violations that China has and these are just the human rights violations that we know of because China is very much a secret society it's not it's not as secret as what the Soviet Union was but it's pretty it's pretty high up there in terms of secrets like there's so much that we don't know about that's probably why we didn't know about covid-19 until it all hit the fan so i mean just think about it that way so anyway my concern with united steel workers is that first of all it's a large labor union not because it started out large it actually started out really small had small beginnings but not necessarily humble beginnings because a lot of these labor unions you have to remember were either started by fascists or they were started in a fascist manner so they're trying to take over an industry or a company which is not the american way it's not democracy and that's not how you operate a republic in your country so what they're operating in is not native to america is what i'm trying to say but let's dive into this one so its full title is the united steel paper and forestry rubber manufacturing energy Allied Industrial and Service Workers International Union. So, this one actually is international, where some other unions we've dealt with or gone over or discussed, excuse me, that we have discussed in the past, not all of them were international because they did not actually deal with other countries in terms of labor and having members that were actually located in other countries. This one does have union members located in other countries. And also they have merged with other labor unions in other countries. So that's very interesting there. So they're known as the United Steel Walker Steel Walkers Steel Workers, excuse me. And it's abbreviated USW and their slogan is Unity and Strength for Workers. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to slogans like that, slogans can be great, okay? I don't have a problem with slogans, but here's the thing. Whenever they say Unity and Strength for Workers, they're not including the employer in that. And here's the thing. Employers have workers' rights as well. because if employers don't have workers rights then then you don't have a a place to work because everybody's rights have value and they are equal but here we see that they're already one sided they're only on the side of the worker well here's the thing i've i've always wanted to ask these labor unions you know what if you actually brought the the employer into your fold because the employer the owner the manager whatever They are workers they are a worker as well and are earning a living too and they probably work 40 to 60 hours a week just like anybody else. Not everybody is a professional paper pusher because what you have to remember is that these labor unions are not federal agencies and they're not administrators, okay? So they're not professional paper pushers. You know, neither are the employers. So You know, I think it's better to extend an olive branch than to say, "Oh, it's us against you." No, we are technically all in this together. That doesn't mean we're socialist, communist, or fascist, but it means that when you actually value the other person, then, then you're not going to be hateful to them, and you're not going to try and ruin their place of business. Because if you overpay your employees, guess what? You will be out of business very quickly, unless, of course, you're like the United Auto Workers who got a free pass from the federal government with our tax dollars. but most people don't get that splurge so to speak. Meanwhile, um its predecessor was Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steel Workers, so that's probably why this sounds familiar. And when we go over the other labor unions that actually merged with this one, 
it will probably sound familiar because we have gone over some of these other labor unions and this is who they merged into and merged with. So this is really interesting. So their formation was May 22, 1942. They are known as a trade union. They are headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They have locations in Aruba, Canada, and the United States. As of 2015, they have 860,294 members. Their current president is Tom Conway. Their parent organization is Workers Uniting, which is I think I think that one is also in in affiliation with the United Kingdom. There's a labor union over there that sounds very familiar to that. But they also have affiliations with the AFL-CIO, the Canadian Labor Congress and the New Democratic Party. So again, these labor unions are very much getting involved in politics when they should not because I think I think that's um it's a conflict of interest. Because politics are not supposed to be infiltrated by labor. That that's not how it works because if all you're going off of in terms of legislation is what these labor unions want and say, that leaves out the majority of the population of the planet because most people are not in a labor union. So why would you have labor union people in charge of your rules, laws or regulations? That's why I don't think they should ever be elected to public office ever because I think I think the conflict is too great there. But it says here the United Steel, Paper and Forestry, Rubber Manufacturing Energy, Allied Industrial and Service Workers International Union, commonly known as the United Steel Workers, is a general trade union. It's headquartered in Pittsburgh. The United Steel Workers represents workers in Canada, the Caribbean and the United States. The United Steel Workers represents workers in uh, primary and fabricated metals, paper, chemicals, glass, rubber, heavy-duty conveyor, uh oh excuse me heavy duty conveyor belting tires transportation utilities container industries pharmaceuticals call centers and healthcare now just think about that this is a big problem here look at all the different ind- industries that they are gobbling up in terms of labor unions that is a problem because they should only be dealing with steel they should not be dealing with all this other stuff all they're doing is just trying to get membership and mind you they have over little over 850,000 members in their union hardly any of them have to deal with steel the majority of them are in other industries so obviously it's not to protect or pr- or to promote the steel industry it's for political power that's where my concern is with this it says united steel workers is currently affiliated with afl cio in the united states in the canadian labor congress also known as clc in canada on july 2nd 2008 the united steel workers signed an agreement to merge with the united kingdom and ireland based union unite to form a new global union entity called workers uniting hence the parent organization for this one which is concerning to me because both ireland and the united kingdom are socialist and ireland has been trying to fight that for a long time and i feel sorry for them one of the things that they've been having to fight their socialist country is about uh their socialized medicine because socialized medicine does not take care of people the only thing it really wants to pay for is antibiotics and birth control maybe abortions but for sure uh, antibiotics and birth control but anything outside of that it doesn't really want to pay for well anything outside of that is usually pretty serious so just look at it this way if if you have a um a type of healthcare plan that only wants to pay for stuff that's over the counter but then doesn't want to be there for you when things get serious and what's the point of paying for that healthcare plan that's what it's like 
And what people don't realize is that with socialized medicine, everybody pays for it because it's coming out of your taxes. Um, I think a lot of people are stupid if they think that only the rich pay for it. And, oh, the rich deserve to pay for it. You know, they don't need all that money. I'm like, really? So you think that someone that's rich deserves to be punished by overtaxation and you think that they should be financially responsible for everybody's health care and you're stupid enough to think that you're not paying for it. Like if you're poor or middle class, let me tell you something, don't be stupid. This sounds harsh, but it's true. Don't be stupid. You are paying for socialized medicine. You know, technically the United States has had socialized medicine to like the since like the 1960s when Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security came about. And those were programs that I think were thought of or endorsed by um John F Kennedy before he was assassinated. So those are socialized welfare programs. They are not original to the United States. Socialized medicine I think began um in terms of, you know, modern socialized medicine. Um I think it started in the 1950s in the United Kingdom because they went from being conservative and they slowly got more and more liberal like it it didn't just drop out of the sky that socialized medicine just appeared it was over time and so the way that happens is is that the government over time slowly takes over different industries just like these labor unions are doing they're slowly taking over different labor industries and in different different work environments so that they can take it completely over and decide what they want to do when they have no business taking it over they have no right making any kind of decision in something that they did not create and cannot manage well that's the problem so in terms of the history of this union it says the USW was established May 22 1942 in Cleveland Ohio through the Congress of Industrial Organizations also known as CIO by a convention of representatives from the Amalgamated Association of Iron Steel and Tin Workers and the Steel Workers Organizing Committee after almost 6 years of divisive struggles to create a new union of steel workers. You know, we need to remember that there were turf battles back then. They're probably still having them, but one of the reasons why they merged with people is so they no longer have turf battles and also so they can go after um different employers to try and get more money out of them and not always in the nicest way. Cuz remember, they're basically fascists. It says um the drive to create this union creates such violent incidents as the infamous Memorial Day 1937 when Chicago policemen supporting the rival American Federation of Labor also known as AFL fired on workers outside a Republic steel mill and killed 10 men. The founder and first president of the USW, Philip Murray, led the union through its first organizing drives in its first decade when the workers of USW went on strike several times to win the right to bargain collectively with steel companies. Significant job actions of the USW include the 1952 steel strike, the steel strike of 1959, the 1974 Elliott Lake miners strike, and the steel strike of 1986. So obviously they're really good at striking. I just wish that um instead of striking like that that they they would actually work with the employer because in in all these instances can, can they legally go on strike yes but unfortunately it's them trying to tell the company what to do and that's not right because the company is owned by the business owner it's not owned by the employees the employees did not fork up the money to own a business or to start a business So, you know, there there how I describe this, there is a give and take 
in every situation, in every relationship. And you look at it this way. Let's say you and I are married, okay? And let's say I go on strike and I say I don't like what you're doing, I'm leaving. And if you don't change, I'm not ever coming back. Well, these days if a woman says that, the guy's like, "Okay, leave." Okay? You know, you know, we'll just see if you get 50% of all my income and my money and my assets, my property. I'll just go out and find a young hot honey that's like, you know, newly, you know, turned 18 years old. You know, going on strike will only get you so far. Because here's the thing, if you actually want to stay married, and I'm using marriage as an example here, if you actually want to stay married, you work on it. You don't go on strike, you don't make unrealistic demands. And I'll I'll give an example, like one thing I can't stand about money-grabbing women, and there are money-grabbing women out there. They're called gold diggers. Um What I don't like is like whenever celebrities get divorced and the wife just takes the husband to the cleaners like you would not believe. Like for example, Tom Cruise. Uh, I think Katie Holmes, I think that's her name. She get she gets paid so much in alimony, it's unbelievable. It's it's shocking to me. I think Tom Cruise is going to have to work every day of his life till he's like 152. I mean, seriously. I feel sorry for the man because just because someone gets divorced, that doesn't mean your your significant other or the person you're married to gets thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars every month from you that's not right you know when the marriage is over it's over but one of the reasons why you know these movie stars particularly the wives why they're getting so much money is because they pop out a baby or two it's like you know i don't believe that a baby costs $10,000 a month to raise because if it really costs that much then You know, social welfare programs are really missing the mark on that, and also so are just regular everyday family people, like people from the middle class. It doesn't cost thousands of dollars a month to raise a child, but yet you have people that you know, they're they're they may not have really wanted to get married, and I'm not saying that with Katie Holmes. I'm just saying that you know, marriage is supposed to last. It's not supposed to be temporary. It's technically supposed to last unless something really serious happens. You know, like infidelity or domestic abuse or violence or something like that. But most of the time there's so many marriages that are ending because of money or someone found somebody else or they just don't want to be married anymore. Well, regardless of what the reason is, I don't agree with all this money being taken away from the husband and being given to the wife. when she didn't earn that money. I mean if it's her money, by sure give me you know, for sure give it to her. Because that is her money, but if it's if she didn't earn it, then it's not hers even if they had a child together. Like you can't tell me that that Katie Holmes's kid is going to a very expensive daycare and then all this other stuff. I'm like, you know, I I here's another thing. We have a problem with judges on this. See, because the only reason why these men are being taken to the cleaners is because judges in divorce courts allow it, and lawyers go after it because lawyers want a piece of that change. That is corruption. That's greed. It's not right to do that. Well, if it's not right for money-grabbing women to act like that, then it's not right for labor unions to act like that. Because technically, that's sometimes that's what labor unions do. Not all the time. Sometimes they really are. just wanting their fair share and they're wanting a better working condition or just better benefits maybe something hasn't been going well with their contracts i understand that but when they ask for too much and it's extreme they're no different than these wives 
that want to live high on the hog even though they're divorced from their husband and he was the one that made all the money when they were married and now you know it doesn't matter how much money he makes now because she's going to get a lot of it which isn't right because how is he ever supposed to move on i mean i look at it this way if i was if i was in the husband's shoes okay cuz i look at this from an equality point of view Like if you're a woman and you got married and now you're getting divorced, would you want your husband getting 50 to 80% of your income? No, just from the divorce, okay? Cuz it's not just 50%. They say it's 50%, it's split down the middle, but it's actually quite more because of all the lawyer's fees that you have to pay for both sides. So you're actually losing almost 80% of your income. Think about that. That's why you should try and handle this stuff outside of court and just have a lawyer give you the proper documents, you know, do like legalzoom.com and they're actually really good at what they do. I've had to use them before. Not for divorce or anything because I've never been married, but you need to try and keep things as simple as possible because when you allow it to become to become complicated, that's when it gets really expensive really quick and that's very unfortunate. But I look at it from the point of view of equality. So it's like, okay, if I would not want to be taken to the cleaners, and my ex-husband get 50 to 80% of my income and then I have to continue to pay him thousands of dollars a month just for his upkeep. You know, if, if I don't think that's right for me to do that, then why is it being seen okay and demanded of these husbands that are getting divorced? Like I I just don't get it. It makes no sense. It's like if if I don't think it's right to do that to me, then why is it okay to do it to somebody else? Well, guess what? It's not right to do that to somebody else. And I look at it the same way in regards to labor unions and trade unions because, you know, most of the time they have a good point in what they want, but also most of the time what they want is not reasonable, it's not feasible, and it's usually outlandish and just unrealistic. You know, like for example, the United Auto Workers—they were making, you know, basically a salary of what a a physician would make, a medical doctor, but yet they've never been to medical school, and most of those workers had never been to college. I mean that's insane to expect to make that kind of money and to and to demand to make that kind of money when their education level does not match what they say they should be getting paid. That's a big problem. See, that's greed. It's as I've said before, greed is not just on Wall Street. Greed is in so many other places and mostly in places that we never think to look. And you know what? We need to start looking in these other places. We really do. because if we don't if we don't start looking and acknowledging these other forms of greed it's going to continue to cause inflation inflation in places that we never thought to look because you and I were not doing our due diligence and paying attention to stuff like this like as citizens of your country whether you are in the United States or Canada or the Russian Federation or United Kingdom or Ireland or Wales or France or Japan Denmark wherever Whatever country you are a citizen of, it is your responsibility to be aware of your rights and also to be aware of the rules, laws and regulations of where you live, not just on a national or federal level, but on a local level and a state level. Because if if you if you're not aware of stuff, then there's a lot of stuff that can be done behind your back, whether it's intentional or not intentional, but you know, ignorance is not always bliss. It's bliss until you realize you've been screwed. And then you're like, "Whoa, this happened?" Yes, it happened while you were looking the other way and not paying attention. You know, there are a lot of people that that don't pay attention to our laws in this country because they're not a judge, they're not a lawyer, you know. 
They're not an accountant or maybe they're not a business owner. Well, it doesn't matter. You're still a citizen of the United States. I mean, I mean, you have every right to be concerned about stuff, but you know, you should also be aware. That's my point. You should be very much aware. Because if you're not aware, then literally you're in the dark on so many things and nobody, not a single one of us can afford to be in the dark. We just can't afford that. I mean, look at the trillions of dollars in debt the United States has. We need to balance our budget. So just think about that. The United States has trillions of dollars in debt, okay? And yet these labor unions are in the back pocket of the federal government. and then the federal government has these labor unions in their back pocket. Both of these entities, labor unions and our federal government overspend. They don't like to balance their checkbooks and they don't like to be held accountable for almost anything. That's a big problem. It's like a spoiled rotten little kid throwing a fit on aisle 7 at Toys R Us yet again. You know, there's nothing wrong with holding people accountable and balancing a budget. That's what you're supposed to do. Like if you actually want to make more money and be truly successful, You know, instead of being in debt trillions of dollars, flip that over and make a profit of billions of dollars, but you can't make profit if you have debt like that. Because it's offsetting your income, it's offsetting your profits. So if it's offsetting it all the time, then you're always in the hole, you're not even breaking even. At least break even. I mean, that that would be ideal. Actually, ideal would be to be making a profit because you don't want to be in the hole. Anyway, it says um, the 46,000 members of the Aluminum Workers of America voted to merge with the budding steel worker union that was the United Steel Workers in June 1944. Eventually, eight more unions, and some of these uh, we've gone over, eight more unions joined the USW as well. The International Union of Mine, Mill, and Mine, Mill, and Smelter Workers, the United Stone. and Allied Product Workers of America, District 50, the Allied and Technical Workers of America, the Upholsterers International Union of North America, the United Rubber, Cork, Linoleum and Plastic Workers of America, the Aluminum, Brick and Glass Workers Union, the Canadian Division of the Transportation and Communications International Union, and the American Flint Glass Workers Union. Very interesting stuff here. So just think about all these people that are now members of one union that that's a lot of power that is a tremendous a lot of power like if it's not right to have monopolies in the private sector then we should not have monopolies in labor unions or trade unions that's where i get concerned about this cuz the more monopolies you have the less rights the individual has even though we do have rights it's that it's that they're being squished by someone that's getting too big for their britches So it says in June 2004 the USW announced a merger with the 50,000 member Industrial Wood and Allied Workers of Canada, a major Canadian forestry workers union. In 2005, it then announced an even larger merger with the Paper Allied Industrial Chemical and Energy Workers International Union, also known as PACE, PACE. In September 2006, The Independent Oil Workers Union of Aruba, which represents refinery workers on the Caribbean island of Aruba, affiliated with the United Steel Workers, becoming the first USW union local, a uh, local, excuse me, outside of the United States, including Puerto Rico and the US Virgin Islands and Canada. 
In, in April 2005, the USW and the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television and Radio Artists announced that they had formed a strategic alliance to take on the globalization of the culture industry and to address a range of common issues. Now, here's the thing. I don't believe that that's why they merged or why they have a strategic alliance. It has nothing to do with steel workers. It has nothing to do with steel. It's about controlling industries that they should not be controlling, and it's also controlling legislation. That's a big problem. Like their intention is right there in black and white. Then in in July 2006, the USW announced a similar arrangement with the United Transportation Union to address common issues in the transportation industry, including the globalization of the industry. In July 2007, the USW Uh, inked yet another strategic alliance with the Canadian region of the Communications Workers of America. So they're getting all these alliances, and it's not, on, it's not for the benefit of the workers. It's for the benefit of greed, control, and infiltration of our rules, laws, and regulations. That's a big problem there in our legislation as well. So, you know, whenever they're making alliances with something that has nothing to do with their industry, I get real suspicious of that. Because it makes no sense. So if something doesn't make sense and it looks a little odd, I think it's appropriate to question it. And I think we should be questioning it. Then it says, in May 2008, the USW announced its endorsement of Barack Obama's presidential campaign for president by way of Senator John Edwards' endorsement. On March 6, 2012, the USW endorsed President Obama's re-election. On June 9, 2016, the USW endorsed Hillary Clinton for president. On May 20, 2020, the USW endorsed Joe Biden for president. The United Steelworkers was a founding partner of the New Democratic Party and continues to be an affiliated union. Now, this is in Canada, the the New Democratic Party. So this labor union, it's it's not reaching out to Republicans or to capitalists. It's only reaching out to Democrats and or fascists, which is really concerning to me because that's not the American way. And you know what? I don't know a lot about Canada, but I do know that Canada was not founded by racists or liberals or socialists. Canada is actually a very nice country. You know, they have very kind people. But here's the thing. They have people there, too, that make really stupid decisions, especially when they don't vote. And you know I'm not just talking about union members but their citizens in general when they don't go out and vote and then when they don't vote appropriately um and when I say appropriately they keep voting in bad leaders so if you have a bad leader over here guess what they're probably going to vote for other bad people so it's one of those things that Canada you know they still have a problem with socialized medicine so they still have citizens of Canada that are coming to the United States for their health care because in Canada it's very similar to the United Kingdom and, and Australia where it's socialized medicine and if there's something that happens to you like if you need a hip replacement, knee surgery or maybe you need real expensive med- medicine, you get put on a waiting list. Well, why would anybody make you wait when you are in, when you are in pain and you're suffering? And it's your health care. You know, as a Canadian citizen, You know, for all those listening in Canada, you have my deepest sympathy and my prayers on this because, you know, you're paying for that health care, but yet you're not getting access to it. 
And, you know, you might say, and I've, I've met some Canadians that have said this to me, they're like, well, here's the thing. If you're young and healthy, it's fine. Or even if you're older and healthy, it's fine. You know, but if you have health problems, then you have to purchase additional health insurance, which is expensive. I'm like, that's the problem. You're already paying for health insurance. You're paying for socialized medicine, which is distributed by your government, and they're not even distributing it. They are withholding it. Because they want to weed out the weak. So here's the thing. If you live in Canada and some of these other countries are socialist, you're already paying for health care. But then if you want even better health care that you should have access to, then you have to purchase it privately. So it's like you're having to pay for things twice or three times over in Canada. But yet Canada says we have socialized medicine. It's great. It's not that great. And there's this one guy I was talking to. He was such a jerk. He's one of the few people that I've met or talked to from Canada that was horrible. Everybody else has been awesome. But he just had this horrible opinion of people that get ill. He's like, what do I care what they have to pay? He goes, I just go through the socialized medicine. He goes, I just, I just go through the government for what I need. I'm, I'm not unhealthy. I'm like, you've missed the point. You've totally missed the point. Just because someone has a health problem... does not mean that they should be punished financially for that, especially not from their government. But that's what their government is doing. And here's the thing. This guy had a government job. No wonder he thought so horribly of the ill and the chronically ill and people that get sick and have serious surgeries and need expensive medicine. He works for the government. He works for the Canadian government. Like, he doesn't value human life. He doesn't, he doesn't view them equal to him because he's healthy, has a good, cushy job. Well, that's a problem because that, that poses an issue with, hey, how is that equal rights? And plus, how, how is that promoting human rights? Because if you don't think someone should have equal access to health care and that it should be paid for by the government if your taxes are paying for it, which if you live in Canada, your taxes are paying for it. For the socialized medicine that's there. And here's the thing. We are already paying for socialized medicine here in the United States. It's taken off our taxes, whether it's state or federal taxes. And possibly sales tax, but for sure state and federal tax. And these come down to the social welfare programs that we already have. That's Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Disability. There are programs for veterans, which don't help them at all, which is, it disgusts me whenever the government... says it's going to help people and it doesn't. It's like, okay, so then where are my tax dollars going? Because, you know, I don't mind if my tax dollars actually go towards helping someone be healed. I don't mind that. Because I would rather them be healed, get back on their feet, have an amazing job and have an amazing life and never have to suffer again. But if, if you operate and function like the federal government or even the Canadian government, okay, then... you're not really going to care about people in the same way that you should. Meaning that all life has value. And if someone needs, needs access to a life-saving cancer treatment drug, they should have immediate access to that. But guess what? Our governments, both Canadian and United States, a lot of times it gets blocked and not paid for if you're on a government welfare program. Like people... you know, throw their arms up in the air over privatized medicine and over health insurance companies. Guess what? Health insurance companies actually pay their bills. 
It's the federal government and these social welfare programs that are notorious, notorious for not paying doctors for what they're owed. They're notorious for not wanting to pay for the best drugs on the market. That's why on Medicare and Medicaid, but especially Medicare, if you're a senior citizen, you're not getting the best medication that there is on, that there is on the market, and that's horrible because you've been lied to. I kind of feel sorry for the baby boomers because a lot of them were Democrats way back in the day. And I don't know if a lot of them are still Democrats today, but regardless of what party they're in, back in the day a lot of them were Democrats and a lot of them voted for Jimmy Carter, uh, who was a horrible president and um just totally mismanaged the United States. I mean, just incompetent to the extreme anyway. Um here's the thing. There were so many promises that the Democratic Party made way back in in the 60s even further back. They have not followed through on their promises. But yet they expected people to vote for them and say, "Hey, we want to help people. We want to have this war on poverty. We're going to get rid of poverty." Guess what? Poverty is a part of our planet. It just is. There's no way to make sure that everybody has a job and is not poor. because it is also dependent upon the individual and their circumstances. Sometimes the person can be a good hard-working individual, they can be making really good money, but guess what? A catastrophe can hit and them and their family are forced into poverty because of their situation. So poverty happens. I'm not saying we should be okay with it and we shouldn't try and combat it, but here's the thing. You cannot combat poverty by socialized anything by by socialized medicine or or welfare programs the government is not the answer we the people are the answer because it's the people that create jobs it's not the government and it's, and it's not these labor unions see what what is really disappointing about these labor unions is that there are so many things i agree with them on but there's so many things i greatly disagree with them on And it's because they try and act like they're better than the employer and they know more than the than the employer i'm like You are not a business owner. The name of the business, you know, how to describe this? The business is not in your name, it's in the owner's name. You're not the one who's paying the property tax, it's the business owner. You're not the one who has to get all these permits and licenses. It's the business owner that has to do that. The business owner is taking on the burden of all that financially. It's not you the worker, it's the business owner. But unfortunately with these labor unions they make it seem like it's just all about the worker. Guess what? If you make it all about one side, then it's one-sided. And you're always going to be fighting. That's why we have these issues. And guess what? America was not founded by labor unions. It was not founded in fascism or communism. It was founded on democracy, a republic, freedom, capitalism. fair trade i mean just like the original fair trade i mean not this stuff where we ship stuff we ship jobs overseas no 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 like the american economy it's it's rooted and grounded in the foundation of our country and labor unions were not part of the foundation of this country because if labor unions had been part of the foundation of this country The United States would never have been would never have been successful as it is today. Never, never, never because if you have labor unions and trade unions in charge of your country, they're going to be democrat, they're going to cause inflation, they're not going to be for goods ever changing or getting better because they're going to 
fear the the threat of job loss instead of job creation. These are very negative people that we're talking about and dealing with. But yet they claim to care about the worker. Okay, well, if we claim to care about the worker, we should also care about the employer. Because the employer is carrying 90 to 95% of the risk of the business. The workers are carrying 5 to maybe 10% if that. And I I'm I'm giving the workers some leeway here. Cuz normally I would say the business owner carries 100% of the risk of the company. But I bumped it down to the worker carrying the risk of 5 to 10% just because workers do matter. And their work does matter, but see here's the thing. The workers are not the majority stockholder or stakeholder in any company, and they should never be, because they will tank it. I mean, workers, I think sometimes they're like a kid in a kid's store. They're like, oh, candy, 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 candy. They buy too much candy and they eat too much candy. Well, you have to practice some self-control, and that's where the employer, the the company owner, comes into play. You know, if you want to know about business, you need to read books about entrepreneurship and what it's like to own a business. Cuz you don't have to interview someone from Wall Street to understand this. You know, you know, call up, you know, for example, let's say you live in a small town. Call up the most successful plumber in your town, ask to interview them, and ask them some questions about their business, how they got started. What are some of the difficulties they go through? Or here's another thing. Let's say you you live in a city and everybody has really fancy yards. You know what? Find out who does the landscaping for those yards. Call up that company and ask them, "What is it like to run a company? How many employees do you have? How how do you decide who to hire, who to fire? What's the financial burden?" of owning a company and operating a company what are your what are your greatest concerns about operating a company and what do you wish what do you wish could be better for your for your for your company go to the people that actually know what they're talking about labor unions don't know what they're talking about when it comes to running a company because none of them actually have ever run a company if anything all they do is is just try to strip a company dry of its revenue and give it to the workers. Well, you know, here's the thing. If you strip something of all of its financial assets, guess what? Nobody has a job anymore. And guess what? You won't have any benefits anymore. That's why I wish more people were aware of what it means to own a company and what it means to be an entrepreneur because when you look at it that way, it's not all about me and my rights. It's 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 about everybody. It's about equal opportunity, equal rights, equal pay. I mean, that's sometimes it just frustrates me with this. Sometimes it frustrates me, but I look at the positive. So, you know, the things that I do like about labor unions is they they established the 40-hour work week. We needed that. They established um benefit packages, really good ones too, even in the private sector. they they helped to establish family medical leave i mean they they have done so many things those are the things i can think of off the top of my head 
Oh, and they also raised the status of women in the workforce. They did that. How can I forget that? So those are blessings. So those are the things that are great. And I'll, you know, I should have a podcast where I talk about all the things that I absolutely love about labor unions because it's easy to point out the things we don't like, right? But here's the thing. There are many things that I love about labor unions, but you know, just because there are things I love about them, that doesn't mean that I'm going to look the other way at, at the things that they're doing that are not good. Because none of us can afford to be ignorant. None of us can afford to play favorites here. Because favoritism doesn't help anybody. In the end, it destroys businesses and it destroys relationships, and in, also it destroys economies. So I mean, if if you want to be able to have access to food, water, and shelter, you know, you really need to start questioning labor unions because labor unions, they've gotten out of control. I liked them when they were just basic labor unions, and they really focused on all individuals, not just the few. But whenever they started pulling this whole "my union's better than your union" stuff and had violent protests, and you know, were killing each other, I'm just like, you really missed the mark. <laughs> You totally missed the mark. Um, but anyway, in terms of our next podcast, we will either go over the United Auto Workers. I think we've gone over this a little bit in the past, but I don't see where an episode actually went into great detail um, as much as what I would like to see happen. Um, it's just that it always comes up in my mind because it's a very interesting labor union. Or we might go over the Superfund sites in the state of Kentucky, and Kentucky is a very beautiful country. Or the country, <laughs> sorry, state. My apologies. <laughs> uh, Kentucky is not a country; it is a state. My apologies, <laughs> but you know it, it is it is a beautiful place to visit. But anyway, um, until next time, I pray that you guys are happy, healthy, and whole. That you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye bye.
Thank you.